Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. This episode of Zero Five O explores the importance of place and how local places contribute to sustainable futures. Our towns and cities have a huge environmental impact, and greening these places will be key to meeting our future carbon goals. A place-based strategy can be used to leverage green outcomes, including town centre management, planning policy, regeneration, recycling, street maintenance, environmental health and green spaces. There's loads to be done and organisations called Business Improvement Districts, or BIDs, are key to influencing local outcomes in over 300 towns and cities in the UK. And the fascinating area BIDs, First Mile works with many of them in London, and to find out how they can improve places, our guest today is Professor Chris Turner. Chris is Chief Executive of British Bids, an umbrella organisation representing UK Bids, and is also Professor of Economics and Information Science and a Director at Winchester Bid. So a huge depth of knowledge for business improvement districts. Welcome to Zero Five O, Chris. Bruce, lovely to see you. Lovely to be here. Excellent. So we're going to get straight in there. What is a bid? Because I probably haven't done it any justice at all or a business improvement district. I often get asked this question by people who don't know what one are and usually make a, a mess of defining it. So what is a bid and why have we got them? They're quirky organisations. They started in Canada 20 odd years ago, came to the UK in about 2005. And they're essentially a, a sort of self-help model for businesses in a particular community where a group of businesses come together and they say, I would like to contribute an extra lump of money into my place to make it better. With better defined as cleaner, greener, more secure, better marketed, more police, the whole bundle of things. And then there's a ballot. You draw a line around the community, there's a ballot. And, and the key thing here is that bids have to be voted in. So every business within inside that boundary has to vote. Half of them do generally, and you must win by the number of businesses in your area, and you must also win by the rateable value of the businesses. So you can't just have a big supermarket outgunning everybody else. It's, the first one was in Kingston in London, grown steadily and slowly, and, and they, they, they really run across the whole UK, big ones. So one of the biggest is New West End, which is effectively Oxford Street, this heart of London, which is, as the name implies, the core of London. Down to little teeny weeny places. So the smallest retail bid we've got is one in south of Croydon called New Addington. A little row of 60, 70 shops there where they come together. Wimborne, they range through market towns, Altrincham and the like. And big cities, almost every big city like Birmingham's got 12. So they're self-help organisations where businesses chip in the money and pay for policing, community, the whole business. And can you, I love the description of self-help. Can you give us some examples of the typical activities or the things that the Business Improvement District uses its money to buy or leverage the, the sort of change of and some of the sort of uh, quirkier ones that you've come across? Yes. I mean, I mean, it is a great story, really. They've been going, uh, most have been going now for at least, hey, you can only go for five years, by the way. So you get a ballot, five years, and then another one. So some have been going for 10 and 15 years. Most start off with what broad Mary Porter's called crime and grime. So most start off sorting out street cleaning, hanging baskets, 
maybe a bit of ple extra policing. Yeah. And then they grow from that and start having big events. So Leicester's had an amazing sequence over the summer of superb out of uh, uh, sculptures, effectively tents, you know, light light shows and tents. Others do everything from painting bollards to having having snowballs to having Christmas lights to having big events. Milton Keynes build bid has been running out door film festival all through the summer so most of essentially a, a lot of stuff that's about safety we all put money into street wardens rangers extra police to make the place feel safe we generally put money into radios and the like so that all the shops can talk to each other a lot of put money into cameras and the like events marketing those are the sort of things they go for and, and, and as I say, some of the quirky stuff, painted bollards, film sessions, lots of events on the high street, lots of hurdy-gurdies, lots of market stalls, just exciting to make people come into the town and at the same time providing the security and the policing to make sure that they're safe in their towns. And so a lot, I mean, I, I do like, I do need to find a new way of describing it because whenever I try and explain it, uh, it I always say, have you seen the uh, people in red trucks and red jackets on uh, uh, Oxford Street scraping chewing gum off the pavement? And everybody's seen them and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, well, that's a bid. <laughs> that's exactly. Well, any, anyway, that's right. Every, we all do something of that sort. Yeah. There may be different colours. There may be different uniforms. There may be different people. But broadly, we keep streets clean, green and attractive and safe. And is this because I sort of get it with the marketing element of things, but you know, littering is a big issue for sort of waste recycling the environment, and and obviously policing is a major issue if you've got a local business or trying to improve the uh, uh, the the sort of well being of, of people and visitors in your area. And is that because there's a failure of um, policing or a failure of the councils to do the street cleaning, or is this sort of on top of things that already exist? Um, it, it's absolutely on top of. So the regulations which came out in 2005, 2004, specifically say there must be additional. So this word additionality. So in a sense, it is on top of. On the other hand, over the last decade, there's absolutely no denying that around the world, local authorities and central government have removed themselves from this space. And that's because local authorities aren't raising the money properly. That's because people aren't prepared to pay their rates. That's because the business rates have become a higher and higher proportion because local taxes have become smaller and smaller. You know, most people's, um, you know, lo local community charges or whatever they're called across around the world have not been keeping a pace with, with anything. You know, most people's housing taxes have been locked into a 1991 model. So, so broadly, businesses have had to step up to the plate to provide extra. Otherwise, the places would have become just a mess. And are you getting to bids? I know you're not a political organisation, but do you try? Can you leverage outcomes in your area from local councils and make sure that there is sort of more attention given to the place, whether it's around the street scene or visitors or environmental initiatives, or is that something you, the sort of the bid organisation, tries to steer away from? In the early days, we probably kept away from those sorts of agendas. In the last five to eight years, we have got heavily involved in that. And that is because really government has been making funds available across the country in a very biddable way. So town funds, high street funds, and so on. So bids have really been badgering local authorities, local authorities have been sharing with us. So we've been doing a lot more shared activity in, in leveraging cash, as you say. So, you know, talking to a colleague recently in Truro, she runs the bids down there. They've got 26 million quid, give or take, to uplift the whole set of you know physicality of, of Truro and there's about 50 cities across the country at the moment with bids in who are getting money for big new projects big redevelopments as well as lots and lots of tiny ones so bids have become main players really now and get in making things happen in their town centers 
And uh, business is getting more savvy to this as well, because it's almost sort of like, you know, they pay a huge amount of money in, in uh, business rates, but then don't have a vote and they don't have that sort of currency of democracy. Are they now going, actually, we have this organisation and we can start to influence how our money's spent that we're paying in business rates? Absolutely right. So what's been interesting over the last decade, in the first the first wave, there were some nationals who got very involved. Boots, for example, very passionately behind bids. They got a they got a basically a shop in every single town in the country, 3,000, give or take, and they got very involved. As the years have gone by, of course, those national bid levies have got higher and higher. So people like Boots and Tesco's are paying a million, million and a half pound a year into bids across the country. Some have stood back from that and said, this is just impossible. We can't afford to do it anymore and have got very irritated and have pulled out. Of course, what they are discovering is that once the ballots happen, they have to pay whatever happens. And therefore, they are now re-engaging. So we, we see, we have meetings with the nationals really every three months, every quarter. We got an advisory board and we got people like Boots and Tesco's on there. And, and they are now getting very involved. They're realising that actually, you know, through the lockdown particularly, through the lockdown, bids and their ranges kept high streets safe and secure. Most of the shops were shut. The only ones that were open were the foodies. Um, and that we had people like pharmacies, Boots, Marks and Spencers, Tesco's open. And it was bid ranges on the streets that made those places safe, helped the queues. We gave a lot of advice to people on, on, on levy payments and how to get extra money and how to download some of the cash from local authorities. So I think over the last couple of years, there's, there's a ballot um as it's every five years. So at the moment, each year, there's about 60 ballots for a bid at any one year. About a fifth of all bids go to ballot. And we've had 80-something since the lockdown, and we've only lost five ballots out of 84. So that's a phenomenal hit rate, really. You know, the, so, so the nationals and the locals are now realising if you want to get things done, you work through your bid. Your A bid is one great way of getting things done. So even though, arguably... Um, business rate, business. I know there's been business rate holidays, but business rates have gone up now, and your the bids charge a levy on top. I mean, it's not a huge levy on top; it's that's a one or one and a half percent. One point five percent, generally, yeah. And uh, but businesses are still willing to pay that extra because they see that there is this real additionality and value add over and above what they would get if they just paid the business rates. Absolutely spot on. And, and the other key thing is that they are in charge of what that money is spent on. So every bid is a limited company. There's a board. Most of the businesses are on the well, not most. There's a representation on that board of businesses, and they have a direct decision-making steer on what the money goes on. And that makes a big difference. They can get stuff done very quickly. Yeah. And so why does all of this matter for the environment and for sustainability, either at the global level, or I imagine you're going to talk probably more specifically about what happens in individual local places, which I think is really interesting because we need to do this sort of environmental stuff everywhere. And people tend to forget about what happens on the high street when they're watching Blue Planet 2. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think what tends to happen is is that the whole international forum for, for sustainability and greenness has almost won the day. I mean, apart from a few maverick countries and people being a bit bonkers on the whole, we understand that the world is facing some fairly apocalyptic futures of various sorts and something must be done. On the other hand, no one's quite sure what should be done. The data is hugely varied. Do we stop our air flights? Do we stop our cars? A lot of fuss of late about people with wood-burning stove producing more bad stuff into the environment than the average HGV. And you think, we haven't got data that allows ordinary folk to make sensible decisions. And businesses feel exactly the same. You know, do we want more traffic in town? Do we want slow-moving traffic, fast-moving traffic? Is having car parks on the edge of town better or not? So, so everyone's exploring this. And bids are part of that agenda. So there are some bids in the country. Hammersmith is a lovely example. Hammersmith bid is, is right in the middle of a really 
big interchanges of traffic. They got the big flyover. They got lots of traffic. They're, they're looking and they're running with a big green agenda now, Hammersmith Bid. They're looking at what you have to do. How do we sort out deliveries? How do we reduce traffic through our towns? I did some work in France recently, and, and, and Bordeaux is interesting. Bordeaux as a city got very involved with this and decided to do something about it. And they did the sums and worked out that in Bordeaux, cars coming in was one of the biggest pollutants. How do you stop cars coming in? You make car parking charges so expensive that no one comes in. So they whacked a flat rate, 35 euros car parking charge, even for the first minute. You pay that, come on, mate. Within weeks, no one brought their cars in. Everyone was using park and ride, and the money was going into buses and transports and trams. So across the country, I mean, Birmingham is now looking at ruthless cleaner action zones. London, of course, has had one for a long time, but really the levels aren't high enough to really make a big difference. They, they make a step jump first six months, and then everyone flips back and starts thinking, well, it's not too bad anyway. So we're really facing decisions now on what should we do about it? Pedestrianisation, closing down some of our flowing traffic, putting a lot more pedestrian-friendly things in, which by definition give you shared space, which then stop people flowing through. So all of those things are being discussed up and down the country in bits. And our business is sort of welcoming that because it's sort of the thing that you sort of read in the to date, and this thinking might have changed, is the Bordeaux example is people that drive into the city or the city is impossible to drive through or it's a low emission zone or the parking's taken away or there's a, a, a classic sort of bypass around a market town. Local businesses, as the media report it, say nobody comes to my town anymore because they can't park outside the shop. Is that just old news? It's absolutely spot on. That is what happens. It completely changes the dynamic of a town. And there will be most certainly some businesses that go completely bust and disappear from the face of the earth. I think what bids are trying to work through is, is, is what are those businesses? How can we protect the ones that need to be protected? I mean, a lovely example. I mean, a, a decade ago, the small news agent comes, sweetie shop comes, cigarette shop was on every high street. We all drove up to it. We parked our car early the morning. We popped in. We got our papers and fags and sweet and drove up. They, they barely exist now. They've disappeared. And that's a good example of what happens when pedestrianization and traffic flows and calming measures come into being. Some businesses, tragically, disappear completely. But what we're facing now is those sorts of social changes. Bill Grimsey wrote a lovely book a couple of decades ago called um, like Shopping or something. It was a lovely book. Um, and the, his first chapter... He talks about, as a child, going to shop with his mother on the high street, and there were five butchers and, and four fishmongers and loads of delis. That disappeared. It disappeared because women work. It disappeared because supermarkets came. And we're facing the same sort of major change now. It's a big social change movement. COVID's allowed us to realize that actually we can do a lot more than we thought we could. And that's been the big shift. And businesses are really realizing that, for example, the young will only shop at places that are socially responsible. I'm not saying across the piece they only will, but generally they want to shop at socially responsible places. They want to shop at places that pay their taxes, that are clean, green and attractive, and look after the world. And therefore the big players, a bit of altruism, but if I'm honest, it's the bottom line, are realising that the young are the dominant spend now and they've got to start playing that game. And does that change how cities or bid areas because i know there's multiple bids in some cities how they change in the future because are we going to have the place i mean we're talking about retail a lot but it also includes where people work and that's obviously changed massively in coronavirus as well but does the town center or the city as a place start to change where people go to have a coffee and try on things and then we have the impact of that is lots and lots of deliveries and delivery vehicles and lots of city centers that we're working in are now struggling to cope with the number of delivery vans 
plans because everybody's getting things the next day. And is there a coherent, almost roadmap of what the future city or bid area might look like in the future? Are we? Is it going to be sort of levitating electric delivery vehicles or how does, how does it all look from a bid perspective? You put your finger on a joyful stuff, really. I mean, it, it looks a mess for a mad dog, if the truth be told, but a mess that something will emerge from. So we got a, we got a conference on the um, 4th of November, and one of the big strands there is indeed sustainability. What are we doing? What are bids doing about this? And at the moment, you know, we've got a very libertarian government. They'll impose as little as possible. Businesses are being forced to make decisions themselves. The market is always a mess in those sorts of early days. Cohesion will probably emerge but we're most certainly not at the level of cohesion yet. And it's also a huge variety. So small market towns, the Baths, Bristol, sorry, Bath, Winchesters, Canterbury, Salisbury's have got a very different picture being mapped out for them from the middle of Birmingham. The small market towns where more people will probably be living than used to live, more people are working from home than used to work from home. The big city centres, fewer people working there than used to. But possibly those who do go in, and people are muttering around about two to three days a week, may spend more when they go in because it's a bit of an event. So those things are really just completely unknown. Um, there's a really big, quite legitimate concern at the moment about logistics and Christmas and what's happening. But what's intriguing, of course, is that those small market towns that have got very short supply chains that are close to what Mary Porter's called the kindness economy, where they're getting deliveries from local farms and local eggs and local cheese. People can go and pick up stuff from, you know, expensive artisanal bakers and handmade gin people. They're going to be okay because they're not dependent on long supply chains coming across the world with, with great big HGV. They're small local economies, the Frooms, the Winchesters and Worcesters of this world. Big city centres and possibly suburbs. I mean, suburbs are interesting. There are some suburbs that fit into that model. I can think of places like Northfield in Birmingham. Small suburb, feels like a market, little small village. Putney in London, feels like a village. Short supply chains. As opposed to the middle of Birmingham, you know, John Lewis's is now pulled out from the middle of Birmingham. That's going to be a very different place. Lovely conference on, in fact, in fact Wednesday afternoon where Birmingham bid or Colmore bid have been doing a lot of research on um, what the middle of Birmingham might look like. And, and that's going to just be an interesting conversation on how they feel. Banks and insurance companies in the middle of Birmingham, big bid that's spun around offices, still existing, probably smaller footfall, probably smaller numbers of people coming in. But those people coming in will probably be doing much more interesting, creative and energetic stuff. But, you know, we, we, we'll look back in five years and say, blimey, some places got it right and some played it completely wrong. And th th I mean, that's a sort of adds to a lovely theme that I always talk about, which, you know, we, we, we've got a lot to do between now and 2050 but we're going to make a load of mistakes and the environmentalists and sustainability professionals and probably people in bid communities as well are, are sort of quite hypercritical when they think well we can't solve everything now or we might make a mistake and it's fine to make mistakes and we might go down a number of wrong tracks so end up in cul-de-sacs but I think that's okay because we've got so much to learn and we just have to keep forging on. I think that's absolutely right. I think one of the problems we all face, and this is a problem that businesses most certainly face, is this issue of data, this issue of what do we have to do to make things better? You know, we, businesses get very involved with stuff and they worry about their supply chain and their logistics and their vans. And then they suddenly discover, actually, the worst things are their air conditioning and heating plants. And then actually no one knew that five years ago. But in fact, some of their aircon and, and particularly heating plants, old-fashioned heating plants, are indescribably bad. No one knew that. So what we're all looking for, and I was much more help from the environmental professionals about rank listings. If I have to do one thing tomorrow, what would it be? 
I mean, everyone's rushing to electric cars, which is sounds fine. And so you work out, where the hell is that power going to come from? If it's going to be coming from an increased number of coal-fired power stations because the government hasn't got its act together, which is a possibility, then actually it could be a disaster route to go down. Yeah, absolutely. And it's there's so much infrastructure to build and so many things to get right. And what's happening in Winchester then? So you've, you sort of mentioned some of the market towns. I mean, has Winchester been in rude health since the first lockdown ended? And have you got many more people there? I have to say one of the issues that has emerged in lockdown is that the smaller market towns that were the great centres of people commuting into big city centres, whether that's Bristol or Bath or Winchester, have, have been very buoyant in the lockdown because suddenly a lot of people used to leave and work up in the middle of town are now staying at home and they're buying stuff. So there's been a big shift of away from some things onto others. Growth in, in, in outdoor eating, of course, while, while the weather's still mild, you can't book a table in any of the restaurants you can't buy a mercedes you can't buy a hi-fi system because they've all been snapped up very different from you know i'm i'm in i'm in leicester later on the week from industrial towns where the whole of the economy still depend on people going into work and making things and i think you know i i I'm, as you know i'm an economist i like i'm interested in class i think one of the issues about this is is the way that affluence and class are becoming even more of a defining line between different sorts of communities and we need to work out what to be done about that how to help that how to look after people how to nurture folk otherwise we're going to be in some very very tough times over the next few years another that is interesting around sort of people's personal wealth or class if you like and are we finding that gentrified city centers where they're great places and they look nice and um, good places to work are they pushing out less wealthy employers and um, employees people living there are they getting pushed into other ghettos and is it becoming such a gentrified center that it's actually having a polarizing effect on cities yeah a key question i mean and, and and two years ago i would have i would have said yes this is a worry interestingly covid's changed that dramatically and that is because a lot of big employers are now starting to realize a how dependent they are on their core workforce their cleaners their drivers their delivery people and at the same time the change of retail is suddenly making available in high streets across the country big areas where development for people to live could take place and therefore you can conceive if local authorities are given the power and the support much more innovative solutions to to residential i'm thinking you know for those who know london well the peabody estates big estates that the duke of westminster was involved with where people live in a very affordable fashion we could see those coming back into town centers as long as local authorities are given the support by residents to do that sort of thing what we have to be careful about of course is the whole nimby thing doesn't kick in and people start saying well you know we don't want folks living in in the middle of our town centres. But you could see, if all worked well, a revival of people living in town centres. And I'm interested in some of the Debenhams refurbishing and repurposing. A lot of those include residential. And if that residential can be affordable residential, and if we can empower our local authorities to be allowed to say that, then then life could be really quite exciting. The fear many of us, many, most of us have got, is that those permitted development rights will be forced through, and but they will just be expensive maze nets and, and you know, flats for the posh rich folk in the middle of towns and ordinary folk like like us will not be able to live there. So I think there's a lot of agenda going on. It's interesting that the change of minister with Gove coming in now, has, there's a review of that 
permitted development rights. And we could see some quite exciting plans coming in where people could live. I mean, in the old days, when I was younger, a local authority as a planning and an and a, a owner of property would have tower blocks in the middle of all of their towns. You know, I, I worked with guys in Birmingham that lived in council properties in the middle of Birmingham without a second thought. It was just quite normal. All been bought out now, disappeared. And, and so we've got to bring that back again. Yeah, and I think go, everywhere Gove's been, like him or not, everywhere he's been, he's, he's had, had a brave and made a big change straight away. So we'll see. I think there'll be something coming out there. He doesn't mess around. Yeah. He doesn't mess around. <laughs> and so right now, in your view across the UK or Europe and North America as well, if you like, are businesses still terrified about survival or have we got through that with COVID? And do they care about the green agenda? Do they care about sustainability at the moment? Or is it still very much around survival? And have we lost, although we might have gained momentum in thinking about town centres because of COVID, we might have gone backwards in the green agenda because of circumstance? Um, it, as ever, it's it's mixed and demarcated. There are some businesses that are absolutely are facing horror and they will fight hard in the next few years and they may disappear completely there are others that are in a better position they've not got debt they're thinking long term they're thinking the future they're thinking sustainable they're thinking green they're looking at short supply chains i mean i'm thinking here about for example clothing small units that are, that are doing classy clothing people that are making things at a local level whether that's bread or food or gin or just sandwiches where people are really getting engaged with stuff there's an excitement there there are new things happening talking to a bid manager recently in the northeast big city center and she was saying the the growth of startups is phenomenal people that lost their jobs in the lockdown or they were furloughed and suddenly thought i will do what i really want to do now and they're setting up small startups they're getting involved in little marketing companies they're living on far less money than they ever ever thought they could because they're doing what they love now so, so i think there's a huge excitement in the air on that and I think some of the big internationals, you know, are facing for the first time ever some really heavy battles. I mean, I'm interested in the whole of, of Facebook stuff of late, you know, where, where they're, they're, they're having a hard time. And I have to say, Monty's rightly so. And that's going to face a lot of nationals to look much more carefully at their, their sustainability, their green footprint. Keeping the young on board will be for many of them a big issue. And a lot of us, of course, have had our young closer to us in lockdown. They've been staying at our homes. They've been talking to us. We got much more engaged in some of those agendas because we talked to the young in a way that we probably didn't when they were all tanking off to school and stuff. So I think we're in the middle of a really exciting social change. It's going to be pretty ghastly for some people. And we, we mustn't ignore that. There will be a hard time. But other people will make moves. They'll set up their own businesses. They'll move in a different direction. And it will be an increasingly clean and green agenda because it'll have to be. Yeah, and that's a pretty honest assessment, I think, really, because it is going to be tough for some people, but there's also going to be some real winners in there as well. So, Chris, I'm really intrigued because from my intro, you, you've been around the block a bit. And uh, how on earth did you get involved in the bid movement? And how long have you been involved in that? <laughs> that's a great question, really. I mean, it's interesting. There's, there's probably about a thousand people who work for bids. There's 320 bids, about a thousand people working for them. They've all got boards. They're all separate limited companies and they've got boards that are local people on their boards. So I was a working academic university teaching and then, and then senior management. And then because of that, got involved in my local bid board, got onto that. And then when I retired, um, got sucked into it because the people wanted a bit of research. They wanted to see what was happening to bids across the country. And then I did a bit of work with the friends in the States and sort of started to realize that this is a global phenomenon. So slowly over the last decade, I suppose, I've just got more and more involved in bids. I, I did a workshop 
only two weeks ago with the Singapore bids. They got 12 there. Got another project going with them in a, in a week's time. A thousand in America. A guy called Dave Downey runs the sort of bid grouping for them there. So they've become global phenomena. We talk to each other. We share stories. We work at what's happening. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's exciting. As a sort of applied economist, it's a great way of looking at what can make cities and towns and small suburbs work. And is there a, um, I mean, it might, might not be for you personally, but for the sort of the bids community, is there a success factor? Is it having a bid in every major city around the world? Or is it something that's sort of in the fabric of society and it will just sort of evolve over time? Or is, has somebody got a big plan for, for bids somewhere? There are certainly no big plans because bids are, by definition, real bottom-up things. They, they are a group of people coming together, which is quite quite like them. They're real uh, bottom-end, communitarian responses to the needs of a place, and they work. The worries I've got, I suppose, is what about the places where there isn't that communitarian spirit, where people can get together and do things? Or more interestingly, and, and probably more pertinently, where although they do want to get together and do things, the rate of value and the profitability of all those businesses, when added together, doesn't allow you enough money to free up to do anything meaningful. You know, so, so a bid like Winchester, we're looking at between the 790-odd businesses, half a million pound a year income from that lot. The smallest bid's pulling in 150,000 a year. You can do something with 150,000 pound a year. You know, you run it yourself, you don't have staff, but you can put money into, there's a lovely bid in Fleet, for example, where they've kept their overheads to the minimum, but spend the money on just exciting projects. But below that size, if you can't even put in 150,000 because the economy really is so wiped out, they're the cities we're looking at now. They're the towns where you think, how do you help some of those smaller market towns? Ireland's a good example because they've got five bids now, Government's getting very interested in bids as a sort of lever for change. And this good stuff coming from Sligo bid, for example, love the example of a bottom-end bid that's emerging and going places. And I saw I saw on one of your reports that there was, I think there's one digital bid. Is that because it's in an area with lots of digital industry or is that actually sort of almost like an online concept for a bid? There have been two floated. One is the one that got through, which is broadly a bid that does things in a slightly more online fashion. And to be honest, more and more bids are going that way. So most of us are now using e-news as we're doing digital. We've got apps. We're, we're there was an exploration of a bid that was about the digital industries in those towns coming together to become a sort of Silicon Valley type approach. And that didn't quite get off the ground annoyingly, so they didn't take it to ballot. But I think there are interesting examples of new sorts of bids. Like there's a food bid, for example, where all the restaurants and, and, and things come together. There's a small industrial bid where they came together to build a bridge. So I, I can see digital bids starting. There's a lovely bid in Birmingham around the jewellery quarter, which is a really about stimulating the whole of that, what was a very dying industry and is now vibrant again. So I think bids are moving beyond the sort of original crime and grime to much more specialist roles now, looking at digital, looking at food, looking at a whole bundle of different sorts of industries in in their towns and we can we can see some interesting things emerging there i think and does the legislation have that, that enables bids does it have to be in a particular area or could i say could it be sort of sector specific say for example if i made jewelry could i have a jewelry bid but was across 20 cities not across 20 cities. So the rules are very clear. They have to be um, geographically delineated. So you could have, for example, Lincolnshire Coastal Bid, for example, which is a long, thin bid, about 20 miles long, but it has to have a single boundary. And then within that, all the industries involved with tourism and leisure pay a levy. Right. Okay. 
But what you can't do is have everyone. I suppose you could have. And the biggest we know about is North Knotts, which is a district council, which is the whole of one district council looking after all the businesses there. So, so you could do it, and there might be some interesting models emerging. But at the moment, there must be a, a geographical boundary of. And presumably, you couldn't put another boundary around the outside of it. So you couldn't, for example, then put a, a boundary around Birmingham or metropolitan area or the West Midlands because it's already got bids within it. Well, uh, interestingly, interesting <laughs> because the answer is yes, you could. So Bristol is interesting because so there are there are I think five bids in Bristol. Four of them are, are perfectly standard, dotted around the city, interestingly managed by an overarching board. But one of them is a small shopping centre bid inside a much larger bid. So you can have differential models of a bid within a bid. One or two bids, there's one in London uh, around Tulse Hill where there's effectively an industrial bid on one end of, of the boundary and a more retail-y led bid on the other end. So you've got Tulse Hill sitting there with a fairly long, elongated boundary, which again is quite an interesting model. So everyone's playing around with ways of making it work. Yeah, very interesting how it could potentially become a bit more sort of focused on a particular sector. Yeah. Brilliant. So what's coming up that you're most excited about in the, in the well, it doesn't have to be in the bid world, but what's the exciting stuff that's uh, on your agenda for the next sort of 12, 18 months, Chris? I think two things for, for us, and I, and I think bids, I mean, I'm a bit of a workaholic, really, so bids are what I, I, I live at the moment. I think over the last year, we were very nervous that bids would, would disappear, you know, because this, this is a voting model. We thought the ballots would go bad. We thought with, you know, 80-odd ballots coming up, we'd lose 10 20%. In fact, we haven't. We've only lost a few. So, so the challenge is to make sure that the bid model remains robust and strong, we must help each other. So British Bids runs training courses. I mean, our job is to make sure all those 320 bids survive successfully. So that, that's challenge one. I think challenge two is grappling with the stuff that you've been raising, really. And, and I think there are three strands for city centres, all co-mingling, really. I think there's the whole issue of green sustainable. I think that's going to affect our city centres dramatically. I'm not sure how yet. It's going to be, yeah, are we going to have more trolley buses? Are we going to walk more? Are we going to have no cars at all? There's a whole bundle of transport agendas there. I think there's an agenda around what you might call the repurposing stuff. So this is about, you know, how are we going to deal with the, the John Lewis's in the middle of Birmingham as, as people don't shop in the old way. They will move away from that. We've got to work out what to do with those buildings. John Lewis is in, in Oxford Street, South Residential. Debenhams, lovely stories there. Debenhams in Gloucester has now become, and that's right in the bid, has become a campus for the University of Gloucestershire. So it's going to be a lovely example there. Another Debenhams down south of London has become effectively a leisure and sports centre with a racetrack and go hard. So that repurposing agenda, which probably must go hand in hand with sustainability. And then the third one for us, I think, is this move of residential back into the centre of town. And those things, of course, will all fit together. As more people live in their towns, they'll want their health centres to be coming back into their towns. And therefore, some of those shops will be repurposed to become health centres. Libraries will be coming back in the middle of towns again. I mean, as we move back into the middle of towns, and by towns, I mean towns and suburbs and whatever you want as we move back into them again a lot of that stuff that disappeared i think will probably come back in again probably less retail because we've all loved online but the retail will be specialist you were spot on at the beginning we were talking about needing to go in and touch things and feel things and try them on so our retail will become much more of sort of a of a sort of shop window rather than just a place where things are stored so those three overlapping things i mean they're we're knocking them all around at our conference in november but repurposing sustainability and the growth of residential will be sort of overlaying all of our towns in the next I, if i'm honest five years i think it'll be before we look back and see what emerged from this from this madness 
And it's potentially bad news for TFL and other sort of uh, transport organisations if people aren't moving around as as much, but maybe they'll dedicate some carriages on the tube for delivering parcels. I mean, there's a lovely example of a, of a bid in the suburb of Birmingham where they hired a van to go and deliver. And then a number of other people said, well, actually, why hire a van? You've got all these taxis sitting around doing nothing at the moment. Use them. So lots of really interesting synergies between small market trailers and taxis. So I think the whole delivery model will become rethought, really. And you're right. I, I, the, the big the big transport providers are the ones who've got to rethink precisely how we're going to use them, you know, because those big numbers will probably not be around again. Chris, that's brilliant. Right. So I'm going to go into some of this shorter stuff at the end. We'll have a little, you can have a little breather now, if that's OK. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So what's the eco product or gadget service that you'd never be without? I have to say my problem is that it's not very green, but my iPad is my life. Excellent. It's saving saving a huge amount of paper you're not printing out, so it's not angry. I live on my iPad. I look at it. I do everything on it. I have no newspapers. I have no books now. I print nothing out. It just, I live my life around an iPad. It's just transformational. And what's the, when you look in all these amazing town centres around the world, what are you seeing that's the sort of exciting green businesses that don't have to be the town centre, that could be online, but in your opinion, what's happening in, that's exciting from a green perspective? I think the thing that excites me most at the moment is not so much the businesses, but it's what's happening with the architects. I'm doing this project with Singapore, and you can look there at some amazing green buildings, buildings with gardens hanging from them, buildings where you can live in them. The, the real sense of architects engaging with place, particularly nature and place in a way they probably did. I mean, I'm a modernist. I like modern, brutalist buildings, but surrounded by greenness, uh, and looking at what's happening in the National Theatre at the moment with those green bits hanging down outside it. And, and that's what excites me at the moment, is that whole journey that architects are on to try and make buildings green and attractive and sustainable. And hopefully they can do it without knocking the old building down and restarting and repurpose some of those buildings. Yes. No, I, I'm, I'm with you there completely. And uh, that's what we need to try and get. And then you, you'll keep the brutalist element then because it'll still, it'll still be there. Yeah. And if you could ask people just one thing that they need to do and how they need to change to help the environment, what would it be in your opinion, Chris? I think walk. Excellent. I think walking. And I think we've learned how to walk more in the lockdown. We're not using our cars. We're not using our – I think just walking. Walk, shop local and walk. Yeah. And actually, the great thing now is there's no reason not to walk because everyone's got a map in their pocket on their iPhone. And actually, increasingly, if you're going to use different forms of transport, such as a scooter or a bike or an e-scooter rented, you can walk between them as well. So it doesn't have to be slow. No. Brilliant. And then finally, Chris, we have the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame, where our guests get to put something or a person in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. What would you put in it? I'm torn here, so I need to sort of mull a bit. One one is I have a huge love of Apple gear, and I love iPads, I love phones, and I think they've changed the way we use our life and and live. So in a sense, someone like Steve Jobs I put in there, because you wouldn't see him as a, a green icon in any shape or form, and yet he has produced kit that has allowed us to move down our offices. And the other one, of course, is, is, is Greta Thunberg. My university in Winchester put a statue up to her last summer, and it caused a right furore because everyone said, why are you putting a statue up to her? But the young, of course, see her as their iconic hero or heroine. I mean, I think there's a real sense that she has probably lifted this agenda beyond wherever. So I think probably I, I must put I must put her in probably, yes. Brilliant. 
Well, Chris, it's been absolutely fascinating learning all about business improvement districts and place and the environment at a very local level. Thank you so much for coming on Zero Five O. Been a fantastic guest. Absolute pleasure. Enjoyed every minute of it, Bruce. And and good for you. I have to say, I didn't know about this these podcasts. I will now. I will now log in and hear some. It'll do me good. It'll do me good. Excellent. And how, if people want to find out more about Winchester Bid or British Bids, how do people find you? Simply bung British Bids into Google or Winchester Bid into Google. See what comes up. Brilliant. Chris, thanks so much for coming on Zero Five O. Absolute pleasure. Look after yourself and good luck. Bye-bye to you. Bye-bye to you. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero-carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero five oh. Zero five oh.